Is, I'd encourage you to turn, uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, to Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can obviously follow along in the screens and in the bulletin. Uh, we're going to continue our look at this masterful book of the book of Hebrews. Uh, but before we get started, I was thinking uh, this week that um, we're almost at March. And I know that sounds weird because we're at the end of January, but we're almost at March. And at March, we will hit a year since we've really been dealing uh, with this pandemic and uh, a lot of the implications. And we reflect on the fact it's been hard for so many, uh, for so many different reasons. And because we're all different people, we've all processed the implications of this in really different ways. And as I thought about that this week, uh, and I've said this before, uh, when all this came to fruition in March, everybody really processed it uh, differently. Uh, but I have to confess that as, as much as I was concerned about so much of what was going on, uh, I weirdly enjoyed the break uh, at the very beginning of all this. If you know me at all, you know uh, I'm wired to, to be busy and to live sort of a hectic lifestyle. And uh, in, in general, normal, normal operating procedures, I'm very hectic with, uh, with life, with work, with my kids' schedules, all the activities that we've got going on. And so for a little while, it was really nice to sort of step out of that frenetic pace uh, for just a little bit. Uh, the, the sort of the emails and the text messages slowed down for a little bit. Uh, the calendar got really thin, really fast. Uh, the commitments felt like they were dropping like flies. And, and we all had to, whether we liked it or not, figure out how to, to slow down. And there was part of me that felt that that was, it was kind of nice. And I know I've talked to a lot of you and you felt uh, a similar way about this as well. Now, I have to say, personally, I'm ready for some of those commitments to come back. I'm ready for some of those activities to come back, uh, but certainly thankful for the perspective even sadness brings, and sadness does so often bring perspective, and uh, so it's given me a perspective, and now as I think about sort of re-engaging in all of the pieces of life, it's made me and many others wonder, maybe we need a little bit more rest. Maybe we need to bake a little bit more rest into our lives and into our patterns. Well, the section we're going to look at in the book of Hebrews this morning uh, talks a lot about rest. And just think about that word for a minute and all the emotions it conjures up for you. But I think what we'll see is that the rest the book of Hebrews talks about isn't necessarily a circumstantial rest like we've dealt with lately, but it goes deeper than that. Uh, the book of Hebrews talks about a rest for our hearts, a rest that our hearts desperately long for that can be true of our hearts independent of the circumstances in which we are in. So I'm going to be reading this morning from Hebrews uh, chapter, uh, let's see, chapter 3, starting in verse 12, and I'm going to go into chapter 4 uh, through verse 13. This is God's Word. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you any evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end." As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom, he, with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're not going to get a chance to talk about it, but thanks for these verses in 12 and 13 that remind us of the power of your word, that it is living and active, that it is sharp, that it pierces to the deepest parts of us. So we pray now, Father, that as we reflect on your word in the next few moments, that you'd help us to see the beauty of rest for our hearts, but you'd also help us to see your face, that it would pierce deep into who we are, that it would pierce deeply into our hearts. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I want you to think about rest for a minute. I want you to think about what is your most restful state. Think about that for a second. Uh, For some people, it's, of course, uh, sitting on the beach Uh, with a drink in their hands, with their toes in the sand, uh, listening to the sound of the ocean waves coming in and out and soaking in the sun. That's that's rest for some people. For others, it might be something different. You might want to get lost in the mountains with a a good book or uh, with a fresh cup of coffee. That might be what rest is for you. Uh, For some of you, it might be uh, sitting in a dark room without any emails or computers and, and listening to some fine music. And when you do that, you discover rest. What I've learned is it's different for everyone. 
It's different in my family. For all the different members of my family, what is most restful is different for everyone. And those circumstances of rest uh, can be different depending upon who you are. But all of us at the end of the day really cherish those moments of rest. And I think we cherish them because we know how fleeting they are. Uh, The vacation, the beach vacation uh, naturally comes to an end. Uh, That mountain trail might lead us back to real life. And eventually the phone rings and eventually we got to go back to our emails uh, and tame the dragon after a certain period of time. And we all wonder, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to be at rest all of the time? Wouldn't it be nice to live an entire life of rest? Well, the scriptures say that that is possible. It says yes. But the rest the scriptures talk about isn't necessarily a circumstantial rest, but it is a rest that is even better than that. It is a better rest. It is a rest for our hearts. And as we think about that rest, I want to look at it in sort of three angles. A rest from the beginning, a future rest that we look forward to, and then finally a now rest a rest that we can experience today. And so let's start by looking at that rest from the beginning. And let's look at uh, chapter 4, verse 4, where it says this, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. Uh, This reminds us of the pattern of creation, where you open the book of Genesis and you see that that God uh, created for six days, and on the seventh day, God himself rested. And that's where this idea of the Sabbath comes from. Many of you know that um, I teach at a couple local universities. I teach world religions, and uh, we always get to the sections on, on Judaism and Christianity, and I talk to them about the practice of the Sabbath that Jews and Christians both uh, celebrate. And I ask him to sort of imagine what that is. And I present this question. I was like, think about when was the last day where you didn't do any work at all? Where you didn't answer a, an email, where you didn't do any schoolwork, where you weren't beholden to any sort of employer. And from the start of your day to the very end of your day, you did no work at all. And I say, raise your hand if you can remember a day where that happened to you. Guess how many hands I get? Very few to none each semester. So I put that question to you. When was the last time you did a day without any sort of work whatsoever? We're often in the same boat as as those students are as well. And part of that is just because we live in a world that makes that increasingly difficult. I think we'd all agree that pandemic or not, we live in a world that is very frenetic. Uh, Guthrie, who's a commentator uh, on this passage, said it this way. He said, we are fast-paced, we are problem-prone, we are project-oriented, and we're often slaves to our to-do list. We live within the crush and the rush of weeks, and that means we often sacrifice the important for the urgent. We sacrifice the personal often for the professional. We sacrifice the private often for the public, and it leaves us longing. It leaves us longing. We long for true rest that goes deeper than skin, muscle, and bone. I think that's a good assessment of our culture today. 
But I don't think that catches God by surprise. God knew that this would be our pattern. And so from the fabric of creation, he instituted for us an interruption in that rat race. He instituted for us a pause from that hamster wheel that we all seem to be running on to remind our hearts of what is true and to remind our hearts of what really matters. He did it at the end of the day because he knows that we're frail creatures who need rest. We need to rest emotionally. We need to rest physically. And that was true from the very beginning. And it was true even before the world was marred by sin. Often we think, well, we need rest because of sin's presence in this world. But no, this was done way before the introduction of sin into this world. But of course, we also know that because of the introduction of sin into this created world, that adds a very crippling dynamic to our need for rest. Because what, what the introduction of sin did for us is this. Not only are our bodies frail and in need of rest, but now our hearts, due to the introduction of sin, now our hearts are restless as well. And so no matter how uh, restful our circumstances in life may be, our hearts still are fundamentally restless apart from God. In fact, what I believe is that so often the fuel for this frenetic life that we lead, sort of the, 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 the thing that stokes the fire, is that our hearts down deep are searching frenetically for a deeper rest. They're searching for rest. And so comes the gospel message, so comes the story of Jesus Christ, and what we see and what the writers of Hebrews wants us to see is that Jesus came to offer us a better rest. He came to offer us a rest that isn't just circumstantial, it isn't just a rest that is transient, that feels like it's here today and gone tomorrow. He offers us a rest for our hearts, an anchor for our souls. Remember that uh, most famous quote from, from Augustine, the finest theologian. He said to God, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. You see, Jesus has come to offer us a rest that our hearts so desperately hunger for. Now, maybe you've heard that before and, and you sort of understand that cognitively, but you wonder... Okay, I understand that, but, but what in the world does that look like? What does that look like? Well, I think we see it, it what it looks like is, is sort of two components, that there's a future component to, to, to living within this rest, and that there's a now component to it, a today component. And I think the writers of, of Hebrews wants us to see that future rest in verse 8, where it says this, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, one of the things that the writer of Hebrews does is he's always giving us sort of pictures and illustrations from the history of God's people in the Old Testament to help us understand the power of the gospel now. And so he does that with this concept of rest. He talks about the Israelites, and if you know the story, uh, the Israelites were freed from 400 years of crippling enslavement under the thumb of the Egyptians. 
Uh, that's the Exodus story, and Moses really was the, the hero of that story. And after the Exodus, for the first time in 400 years, God's people were freed from crippling and backbreaking work. But if that wasn't good enough, this exodus, this salvation, even came with a promise that God would lead his people to a promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land where they could finally be at rest. Now, if you know the story, uh, after a lot of bumps and bruises and hiccups on the road, some of God's people entered into that promised land under the leadership of Joshua. But what verse 8 tells us is that, that as good as that was for God's people, God has something even better in store, that there is a greater promised land that awaits God's people both then and now. And one of the things that the scriptures are clear is that at the end of all things, God will bring about a rest that is perfect. It is a rest that will have no end. It will last for all of eternity. It will be a physical rest. It'll be an emotional rest. It will be a spiritual rest. And it means that our hearts, not just our bodies, but our hearts will perfectly be at rest as well. The scriptures talk about this, this promised land that awaits God's people as a land of feasting and celebration. It's a land in which sadness and mourning will be no more. A land in which pandemics, political unrest, racial prejudice, all those things, there'll be no more. A land in which wars and conflict will cease. They will have no place there. It's a land in which God will wipe away every single tear from our eyes. This is the rest that Jesus offers to you and I. And you and I, by faith, get to look forward to that day when we will experience that, that perfect promised land, that perfect rest because of Jesus. So part of experiencing that rest is looking forward to it with expectancy, with hunger. But it isn't just something that we get to look forward to. It's also something that you and I can experience in part now. We can experience it in part today. And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is, is trying to help us to see. Look at verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, the writer is helping us to see, to understand that there is a component to this rest that we can receive now, that we can receive today, that we can experience in the now. And what that means is that our circumstances can be all over the place. And, and for many of us, it feels like our circumstances are all over the place. But no matter how stormy our lives may feel, our hearts can still be at rest in the midst of the storm, at rest in the midst of the circumstances. Think about it this way. And let's be honest, we, we've talked about this before. So much of what fuels our lives, our frenetic schedules, our frenetic lives, uh, tend to be our hearts, that's the fuel for it all, our hearts that are wandering, our hearts that are in search for rest. And so because our hearts are restless, what we do is we work hard. 
We work hard to to prove our worth before God and before others. We work hard to uh, build our identity. We work hard to build our reputation. We work hard to earn our way in this world, to, to cover over our mistakes and our sins and our missteps. We work hard to provide rest for ourselves. But at the end of the day, deep down, we all know this truth. We know that no matter how many Mediterranean vacations we might be able to book, no matter how much status and reputation we might be able to build, no matter, how, no matter how many hours you might put in at the office or no matter how much penance you might work to make up for your sins and your missteps, none of those things at the end of the day will cure your restless heart. They won't cure it. They never will. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Because in, only in Jesus can we be declared worthy before a God whom we've offended. Only in Jesus can we find true identity and reputation. In Jesus only, we, we recognize that we can't earn our way or we can't cover our own mistakes. We recognize that Jesus has to do it for us. And in Jesus only, we can find a righteousness that we didn't earn, but a righteousness that is given to us by grace. In Jesus and only in Jesus can our hearts find their rest. In Jesus, we can look forward to that future rest, and in Jesus, we can experience a rest now for our hearts and for our souls. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds good to me. Well, the question becomes, okay, if, if that's offered to us in Jesus, then how do we experience? How do we, how do we book that vacation? How do we enter into that rest? Well, the writers of Hebrews is pretty clear about it. It comes through belief in Jesus and faith in his work on our behalf. Our passage really says it three times. In, in chapter 3, verse 12, it warns us of an unbelieving heart that leads us away from the living God, an unbelieving heart that gets in the way of entering into this promised rest. In chapter three nineteen, it says the reason people don't enter rest is because of unbelief. It's not because of laziness, it's because of unbelief. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For we who have believed enter into that rest. And so what this overwhelmingly tells us is this, that this rest doesn't come through hard work. It doesn't come through striving. It isn't earned through blood and sweat and tears. It comes through faith in Jesus and faith alone. Only in Jesus can we enter into this rest. Now, remember, if you were with us last week, remember that the book of Hebrews is written to those people who feel as if their faith is slipping away. That's what this, the intent of this book is. It's written to to those who are counting the cost of following Jesus and wondering in their hearts whether that cost is just a little too steep, that that cost is just too great for them. It's written to those wondering whether their time and their talents and their money and their giftedness, wondering, wouldn't it be better if I just spent this somewhere else? It's written for those who are struggling with the cost and the inconveniences of the faith. And so the argument of the writers of Hebrews is, is brilliant. 
when it comes to those who feel like their faith is slipping away. The writer of Hebrews is honest. Yes, a life lived with Jesus, it is costly. It is inconvenient in all the best of ways. It is uh, not an easy road. It's a hard road, but it's the only path to life. And it is the only path to true rest. Think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. I know I keep coming back to these words during this pandemic. Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And this is where the encouragement of Isaiah 55, I think, is so powerful. It says this, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in the riches of foods. What's Isaiah saying here? He's saying, don't work so hard for something that will never satisfy. The writer of Hebrews comes in and says, don't fall away. There is true rest in no other place out there. And so find a better rest in Jesus. Let's pray.